You're listening to the Desperation Podcast, a generation in desperate pursuit of God. www.desperationonline.com. Revelation is so fun because it's kind of us seeing, you know, the way that things end up. And Revelation chapter 12 here, uh, pretty phenomenal. I'm going to start in verse um, 10. John speaking, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority, say authority, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Hurled down. Hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. I love to just meditate on this idea because the reality is is that in the end, Satan is defeated. In the end, we know it to be true that Satan is, is done. He is defeated. And sometimes uh, as we talk through some of these ideas, it's easy to kind of know that in principle, but not really have inside of us kind of the, the, the real truth, the real reality of how did we get to the place to where we understand that Satan still exists right now. He's not annihilated. We know that he exists, but yet he's defeated on the cross. And yet there's going to be this moment where in a sense he is defeated again. And we live in that kind of middle time. And as you guys as 20-somethings are, are not only people that are committed to spreading the gospel, but you're people that are spending every night or many nights, four nights a week virtually in prayer. Uh, I want these ideas to so be in your core that when you go to pray, it's not confusing to you. It's not kind of illogical. It's not kind of frustrating because it's hard to figure out. But when we read, the, he's been defeated, he's been hurled down, and they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. I want inside of you for you to know what it means that Jesus has won. What it means that the blood of the Lamb, because of the blood of the Lamb, we can overcome. What does that look like and how do we live that and how, do, how, how does that work in your brain? So I'm going to focus in tonight on the blood of the lamb, just that phrase. They overcame by the blood of the lamb. They overcame because of who Jesus was. All of us are familiar, certainly around here, because we say, you know, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And so that's a part of our dialect. It's a part of what we communicate. And so you know that when we say the blood of the lamb, he's talking about Jesus and he's talking about the sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary. He's talking about the cross. But I think to the weak mind, it's easy to kind of think about the cross. And you think about Jesus, the blood of the lamb. What is it? I mean, victory on the cross. I mean, didn't he die? I know he was risen again, but uh, sometimes in our head, it's kind of like, what does that mean? How did he get victory on the cross? I mean, what, what does that look like? I mean, we've known since we were a little kid, you know, that he died on the cross for our sin. And so we've kind of got it in our head that that's true, but what does that look like? And how do you, as an overcomer, how do you, as someone who said yes to the finished work of Jesus on the cross, you believe it to be true, how do you then spread that? How do you make sense of it in your mind? I know for me, like, I, uh, when I was a little kid, you know, like, uh, we had this, this older gentleman that came one time, and he came on a Sunday night, and he sang this song. He was like, he wore a little bow tie, you know, he was real short, a couple inches taller than me, and... Um, he, uh, he sang this, this song uh, that, at the top, I mean, a cappella. He sang it, he could have called 10,000 angels. And the whole idea was uh, that Jesus could have 
called 10,000 angels and literally saved him from the cross, you know. And I remember as like a nine-year-old, kind of thinking, well, why didn't he? (laughs) I mean, if he could have, why didn't Jesus just take, you know, what the Pharisees were saying, come off the cross, show that he's powerful, show that he's, you know, that he's big, and he, you know, this whole cross thing he could conquer in a second, and why not? And I just want in our brains for us to have the understanding and the knowledge of what it means that we have victory through the cross and so that you don't see the cross as kind of a defeat or you don't just give token answers, but it's inside of you. It's, it's the, you really get it. Because the reality is, is that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So we need to know what it means that Jesus overcame. We need to know what the blood of the lamb is. We need to know what it means to have a strong testimony. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. You're all familiar with the story of Adam and Eve and, you know, the whole idea of God creating. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let him rule. Say rule. Let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Kind of an intriguing thing here, isn't it? I mean, here's God, and he creates man to what? To rule. Say authority. Authority. To have authority. He creates man to have authority on the earth. Isn't that interesting? So prior to the fall, here's Adam and Eve living, and the way that God created them was that they would have total rule, that they would have total authority. So when you imagine the garden, most of you, when you think garden, you think uh, some kind of talk that you heard as a kid. Some of you picture naked people. Uh, Some of you think about the statement, you know, they were naked and they had no shame, and you're just dying for the day that you can get married. And you have all kinds of just bizarre ideas in your in your 20-something-year-old brains. And and so I want you to kind of focus for just a minute, though, on not kind of the typical Adam and Eve story, not, you know, Eve ate the apple and oh, but you put this man in the and all that. Just I want you to focus for just a second on the concept of authority. There's so many sermons that are pulled out of the garden, but I want you to get this idea, Genesis 1.26, where it says that literally God put Adam in the garden to rule over everything. Did you get all that? I mean, imagine ruling over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, the earth. Ruling over the earth, that's what it says. So, So look at Psalm 8. Let's get this. Psalm 8. Most of you know this psalm mostly because of the Sandy Patty song. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. But if you keep going past that, it says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler. Over the works of your hands. Oh my goodness. You were created to rule. You were created to possess authority. You were created. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. You were created to have all things under your feet. You were created to rule. 
Now we know, because we know Revelation 3.21, you're a furnace person, you hear this all the time, that one day it says to those that overcome, they're going to sit with him on his throne. They're going to rule and reign with Christ. It is your future. But not only is it your future to those who overcome. Why? Because actually in the garden, the reason that, why, the reason that we were created was to rule and reign. <gasps> so what on earth happened? God gives all things to Adam. Imagine, everything's under his feet. He's living in uh, like total, I mean, the garden, it's perfect. There's no sin. There's, the enemy hasn't, you know, he hasn't given in to the enemy yet. He rules over everything. Can you imagine ruling over everything? Hey, lion, shut up. You know, the bear comes up and starts messing with Eve and you're like, smack. And you just, you rule the bear. You rule the lion. You want apples, you eat apples. You rule the ground and you don't have to work. It just, boom, apples, oranges, whatever other things you grow in gardens. You know, you just, you rule. I mean, it's a cool day to rule. That's awesome. And so here's Adam. He's got nothing to do but walk with God. That's all he does. All he does is he rules the earth and he walks with God. And everything's under his feet. That's a good life. Till he sins. You know the story well. Adam falls. And what happens in the fall? The ground becomes cursed. Remember? And everything that was God's, that he gave to man to rule over for him, man willingly hands over and is deceived voluntarily by Satan. So at that point, man becomes a slave to Satan. God was king. God said, here are my rules. Satan came. He deceived. And man said, sure, I'll eat of the tree of the garden. And boom, he hands over his Authority to Satan. The very thing that God created him to do was to rule and reign over the earth. And when he gives it to Satan, no longer, he becomes the agent that says, here you go. And so because of that, now, now there's needed someone, a perfect man, someone that has the uh, uh, ability to win back the world for God. And you know very well that then God creates, uh, God, then, then God sends his son, Jesus. And God, you know, says, son. Jesus goes, yep. And son, though he was rich, he becomes poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And so there needs to be someone that's perfect. So you've got, you've got Adam's sin, and then you've got all of, you know, man after Adam. And it couldn't be like Adam's son, because inherent in Adam is sin. Does that make sense? I mean, Adam has sinned. So like his, his line then 
it, it is without perfection. So it had to be someone fully God, fully man. Jesus comes and for 33 years, he walks in absolute perfection. And every temptation of the devil, the same way that the devil came and tempted Adam or Eve, he comes and you've read it, Matthew 4. I mean, he's tempting, he's tempting Jesus in the wilderness. And that was like the extreme moments. I mean, you know, living for 30 years as a man, without a doubt, he's being tempted. You know, he's like the enemy's coming after him. Are you with me? So the enemy's coming after him for like 30 years. He's flawless. He's perfect. He's holy. He's God. And then he's baptized. He goes into the wilderness. And it's interesting because the enemy comes after him and just begins to tempt Jesus. But this time, rather than man giving in, the God-man remains perfect. Satan tried to get Jesus to transfer his allegiance. One flaw, and the allegiance would have shifted to Satan. One flaw. Jesus would have sinned one time. One sin. Then Satan goes, ha ha, I got him. The cross is the new old, we're done. But boom, Satan still reigns on the earth. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age. Little g, Paul says. Calls him the God of this age. But Jesus goes to the cross, does not sin. He's perfect without sinning. And when Jesus went to the cross, dies, the blood of the lamb is shed. And the perfect man, the God man, comes and he literally is, takes on the the suffering and the consequences and the pain as if he had sinned, but he never did. And in so doing, he wins back the planet for God. And so now, Satan is defeated, not annihilated, but defeated. And that's sometimes kind of a hard principle for us to get. And I don't even know how much we talk about it. But we say he was defeated, But yet you and I know, I mean, we read the battle cry 4% statistics and we know the enemy is, you know, roaring like a lion today. So how do we kind of connect the dots in our minds? Here's what I want you to get. On that day, Satan was defeated, not annihilated. He was defeated. And there will be a day where he will be completely 100% toast. But we live in a time right now where he, ha- he, he literally has no authority. Oh, what? No, he doesn't have authority. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. And through deceiving and lying, he goes around like a prowling lion, but he has no authority on which to stand. That's been stripped away from him. He's ferocious. He lies to you, but he has no authority. You know who has authority? Matthew 28. Jesus looks at his disciples He's defeated sin and Satan forever. He's died on the cross. The finished work of Jesus on the cross. Now he is risen three days later. He's risen. He's defeated death. He's conquered the enemy. And Jesus comes along and he looks at his disciples, Matthew 28. And it's the, uh, the great compromise. 
Hey, everybody. <laughs> Go out. Have a good time. Pray a little prayer. Put me in your heart. Do what you want. Call it Christianity. Spread the gospel to the degree that you're able. And live a good life. No. Jesus looks at disciples. Say disciples. He looks at the disciples and he says, All authority on he- in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All. Say all. All, all authority. And he says, Therefore, to the ones that have said yes to him, to the ones that he has entrusted to be the agents of change. He says, therefore, I've got all authority. Therefore, you go. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And he tells them to go do the very thing he's been doing, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of time. He says, all authority has been given to me. Now, I'm giving it to you. You go out. You cast out demons. You heal the sick. You spread the gospel to the darkest places on the planet. I have all authority. Enemies been defeated. Death couldn't hold. Right? Easy to sing about, but I want you to get it in your mind to where you can articulate it to 10,000 young people. I want you to get it in your brain to where it's inside of you. All authority has been on earth, has, in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. So David... Why don't we see more of God? Why does it seem like the enemy dominates the world? Well, is it a Jesus problem or is it a church problem? It's not a Jesus problem. <laughs> but most accusation when you're dealing with unbelievers, I talked to, or I didn't talk to him, I, I heard a guy this week say that he, uh, uh, he, had, all these, he had all these frustrations and these accusations toward God and didn't believe in God. And the, the primary reason was uh, not things that God wasn't doing right. It was, it was really issues with us. <laughs> it was really, when you get down to the core, it was issues of us not being who God's called us to be, therefore not being the agents of change, the a- God's agents to accurately express God. It's our role to as purely, as innocently, as powerfully as we possibly can Spread salvation. Spread the good news. And we have the authority of Christ. You do. James, look at me. All authority. John, look at me. All authority. Peter, Matthew, Philip, Thomas. Stop questioning, Andrew. Look at me. All authority. Heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go. You have all authority. So the bottom line is, at Calvary, he's defeated. He defeats sin and Satan. He raises from the dead. Satan's been defeated. Victory is ours. We have all authority. And now we go to enforce that victory on the planet. But what's been done in principle hasn't been done fully because why? Jesus goes, I want you. I want a part. I want a bride. I want a family. I want an arm. I want a group of people that voluntarily love, I want, that love me and I want them to spread the good news. I want them to do the Great Commission. I want them to be the ones that partner with me. It's our greatest privilege. But be, just because he's done it on the cross, we have to now be the ones that go and enforce it. Does that make sense? So because we're partners with him, 
we're the ones that go do the stuff. We're the ones that get that privilege, get that opportunity. I mean, it's like, um, imagine that uh, President Bush, you know, says, everybody's driving too fast on the roads. We're going to slow down the speed limit on all freeways across America to 25 miles per hour. All right. Now, it's, it's mandated, it's done, and he has all authority. And if it, I mean, say it goes to the necessary councils and all that jazz, all right, boom, it's law in America, 25 miles per hour. Does it immediately cause everybody to go 25 miles an hour? No. How do you get to the point where everybody's going 25 miles an hour? Enforcement. It's enforced. And then the next time that Christopher Frierson is driving 95, blue, blue, what, right? And it's enforced. Are you with me? It takes, it takes a team of enforcement to make it happen. Jesus did it on the cross. Now he's looking for a team that enforces it. Now he's looking for a tribe. Now he's looking for a bride. Now he's looking for an army. Now he's looking for a family. Now he's looking for, put the metaphor you want on it. He's looking for people that say, it's done. Let's spread it. He's looking for people that say, it, I mean, enemy has been defeated. Victory is ours. Let's go do it. Let's give some more examples here. I mean, imagine that the furnace pastor says to all men, no dating. It can be said in principle, and because I say it, it's a deal. It's the rule. It's the way it is in the furnace. But it's never going to happen until I enforce it. And I get all the accountability leaders looking at you saying, mm, do you have a crush on him or whatever? Does that make sense? It has to be enforced. Are you with me? Listen, when Jesus died on the cross... He literally gave the death blow to Satan. Satan has no authority and he has been defeated. And now we're living in the time where he's a liar and a deceiver with no authority. And you get to be the ones that take him out. He's already been defeated. He will be, he will be thrown down. We read in Revelation 12. He's going to be thrown down. It's already been done. Victory is ours. We go and force it. Some, uh, my brother and I, we like to go up to the ESPN zone in Denver and we order this big cookie together. It's really fun. One time we were flying, we did a speed engagement together in, uh, Wisconsin and we had this, uh, layover in Chicago and, uh, we had a three hour delay. And so we decided to, uh, get a taxi and we went all the way into downtown Chicago, 45 minute drive, uh, so that we could spend 30 minutes at the ESPN zone in downtown Chicago, uh, and then we took a $100 taxi back. It was worth every penny. And so, uh, anyway, but at this ESPN zone, when you're there, there's this game. It's this boxing game. Now, you know, this, it's like you put these gloves on like this, right? And then it, it can read. It's kind of cool. Have you ever seen this game? It can, it like, when you punch, it can, like, it can, like, it's like it can see you, but it can't. <laughs> But it can, but there's this screen right here. And on the screen, you're like literally, you're like fighting somebody, you know, like we've never fought. So it's just, you know, telefighting that we've ever done. So, but anyway, so the way that you do it is you sit there and you just kind of punch like this, you know, and it weighs your punches. And if you punch hard, it punches him hard. If you punch light, if you jab or whatever. And so, you know, for a few moments, you feel like you're, you know, Rocky Balboa or something, you know, like it feels really good. And so you get to feel like a real man. So you're fighting cartoon characters, um, 
feeling masculine as you fight this cartoon character. All right? All right? And, but what's cool... Now, now I, I never... I, 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 farthest I've made it is I beat the first guy. You know, like I've never made it. I've never beat the second guy. But, uh, but the first guy, I beat the first guy, you know. And, um, and the first guy is kind of the easiest guy. But anyway, and so... But anyway, the, the point of the whole, this whole illustration is that, is that when you're fighting, there's this moment where once you've beaten him, like once it's like you've, you, you're, you've beaten him, there's this little like symbol that comes over his head. It's like this bubble. And I think it, say, it, says, it says KO on it. It means knockout. And then all you have to do is there's like a little number. And it's like, it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, ten. And you have to do like ding, 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 ding. And it, once that bubble comes up, you've already won, but you have to do like ten little punches. Just ba, 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 ba. And he falls over and it's done. Does that make sense? Now, all right, I want you to get this point because this is highly spiritual. <laughs> Jesus already did the hard part. He already beat the guy. Satan's been defeated. Bah, bah, bah. You know what the church is for 2,000 years? Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> He's already been defeated. It's already been done. All we do is just enforce it. And we got just this little... He's done the hard part. And you know what most of us do? We got 10 little punches and we just sit back. But reality is, man, victory is yours. Victory is our all authority. Heaven and earth has been given to us. It's ours. We have to go take it. We got to be the ones that go do it. The death blow has already taken place. The knockout has already popped up over Satan's head. But we have to be the ones that look Satan in the face Take him out. Take him out. Ten shots. I believe that the way that we take him out, the blood of the lamb, we stand before the throne of God. Revelation 3.21 says that we're going to rule and reign with him. We stand before him. And every time, you know, like sometimes when you think about, man, I'm going to take all authority. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to spread it. What we like to think of is like, man, I'm going to go like preach. And we think like preaching is it, you know, like we're, we're going to go do like scream from the rooftops, you know, like Braveheart radical. Only instead of like fighting with swords, I'm going to scream like Scotsman, you know, and it's that kind of like raw thing. But you know how you spread, you know how you enforce the victory? It's a little thing you do every night. Prayer meetings. It's called prayer. It's the weirdest thing, you know? It's the weirdest thing that like God so loves people on their face praying. The way that we're spreading victory, we're doing it his way, it's on our face in prayer. It's a crazy thing. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people kind of, you know, sometimes go, you know, well, prayer, I don't know, you know, maybe let's really go do some things and stop just praying. Oh, no, 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 no. It's we got to pray like crazy and do some stuff. We got to pray every night and go get on a bus and go yell at kids across the country. But it's not just yelling at kids across the country when you have no power. It's not just going and going to the soup kitchen unless your life is different and you've prayed on your face before God. Hebrews 4, 16, God invites us to approach the throne of grace with boldness. See, boldness. Now, a lot of times, one of the things that will keep you from pressing in in prayer and approaching the throne of grace with boldness is that you'll begin to think that you are not worthy. You know? But 
if you read Hebrews 4, the reality is, is that he's not asking for perfect ones. He's asking for weak ones. That's us. And we don't approach the throne of grace because we're worthy. We approach the throne of grace because he is worthy. And because he is worthy, even in our weakness, he not only enjoys your prayers, but your prayers make a measurable impact on the planet. He delights in your prayers. Well, I don't know about that, you know. I'm Brandon Salisbury. I got 19,000 weaknesses. I'm pretty immature. I kind of got, you know, like these weird ideas. And Brandon's got a, 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 um, <laughs> I'm only saying that because the temptation is to look at your life and to say, well, there's probably reasons why God's going to hear you know, so-and-so's prayer, but not my prayer. I'm just so-and-so, and, I've, and I've, I've got this weakness and that weakness. You know what's interesting? You have an inside look on your weaknesses like nobody else. Nobody knows your weaknesses like you do. You know your weaknesses. And so, if what, so what the enemy wants to do is get you to look at your weaknesses and go, count you out, sucker. No way you're going in. No way you're approaching the throne. Look at this, 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 this. You've got a PhD in your weaknesses. I mean, you know your weaknesses. But you know what? Christopher may know his own weaknesses. And so the enemy will look at him and say, do not approach the throne. Look at, look at this in your life. Look at this in your life. But you know what? Enemy's doing the same thing to me. Perkins, dude, look at you. The, look at those weak. Oh my goodness, you're weak in this area and that area and there. You know what? Christopher does not know my weaknesses like I know my weaknesses. No matter what, get it in your brain. You're going to know your weaknesses beyond anybody else. And you know what? The truth is, most of us don't care like you care. Most of us believe in the grace of God so much of our own lives that we're not trying to look at your weaknesses. The more that Christ becomes all in all in our lives, we don't have time to sit around and judge you. Does that make sense? That's just Jesus 101, Matthew 7. We just go, man, dude, (laughs) you got your own journey in God, man. I just know for me, I got to make sure I got no specs. So I don't have time to look at, you know, any planks right now. Bottom line, the enemy wants to take the fact that you have a PhD in your own weakness and he wants to try to keep you from pressing in to the throne of grace with boldness. I don't know. I think that God does all of his work through unworthy people. He's the only one that's worthy. And the only way that you're going to approach the throne is if you see yourself through the lens of Christ and through the lens of the cross rather than through the lens of your own perfection. You'll never be it. Oh, you aim for it. That's the, that's the word of God. But you see yourself through Christ's perfection, not yours. And because of the finished work on the cross, you can approach the throne. Because of the finished work of the cross, you can go after God with all you have. Yeah, but doesn't God usually use kind of like, you know, famous, cool Christians? Guys, do you realize Moses killed a guy? And he's the famous friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. That's Moses, literally. That's like Moses' testimony, you know? David, he's the famous one, you know. God, keep me as the apple of your eye. God rescued me because he delighted in me. You know, that's David. Brought me out into a spacious place. He likes me. He loves me. Remember Bathsheba? Not perfect. No way. Gideon was a wimp. I mean, the angel shows up and he's like, I'm the weakest man in the smallest tribe. 
Bottom line is God used him mightily. You know what? It's, it's for all of us. You're going to have weakness, and that's why God goes, I can use you. Don't tolerate your weakness. Hate it. Hate it. Hate your sin. I mean, hate it. But don't let you, don't start to define your life by your weakness and your worth. Define it by his worth. Because of the cross, Satan comes and he lies to you. And you look back at him and you say, you would have no authority over me. Someone else said that, remember? Jesus. There it is. Talking to Pilate. Pilate. Scowl. Don't you realize I have the power to have you crucified? Jesus goes, You'd have no power over me unless I were given you from above. You have no authority over me. Jesus looks at his disciples. He goes, Hey, all authority has been given to me. Now go. Every time any schemer, any mocker, any lie from the pit of hell comes to you and goes, Ah, don't you realize you're lame? Don't you realize you've been struggling with that same thing for years? Don't you realize what you're not? You look back. You have no power all of, over me. All authority has been given. Talk back to the devil. You know, A.W. Tozer wrote a book. It's called, I Talk Back to the Devil. <laughs> I love that book. You know why? Jesus said we've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. At the tag retreat uh, this past weekend, I talked about the word of our testimony being our lives but I, and, and, to, and, and our lives of holiness, sacrificial holiness for the sake of Jesus. I don't want to talk to the furnace about it being just that. I think it is that. But you know what else I think? I think the word of your testimony is looking back at the enemy when he comes to you with accusation and you out loud looking back at the enemy and saying, talking back to the devil. You have no power over me. Most of us are so passive in our prayer lives. We're so passive, you know, that we, we don't, we think that would even be weird, you know, like talk back to the devil. David, I thought you were joking. No, Jesus did it, didn't he? Remember? Matthew 4, in the wilderness, get behind me, Satan, sucker. God, I love that. He's coming, he's attacking Jesus, just talks right back to him. Get away from me. What would happen if we started to do that? I'm not being fanatical, I'm being serious. What happened? I mean, Jesus did it all the time. Jesus did it when, when, when Peter was talking to him. He was like, Jesus, you know, maybe you should do this and this and this. And Jesus looks at like his best friend, like the guy who's left everything to follow him. And he goes, get behind me, Satan. How to win friends and influence people. Accountability leaders, next time one of your people starts to tell you, calm down and chill out, just look at him and say, get behind me, Satan. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But you hear what I'm saying? What would happen if this, it's kind of like this ferocious tenacity um, and, 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 and this hatred towards the devil needs to rise up within us. You know? I told this story at Tag Retreat, but um, I think sometimes in living in all of our wealth and all of our prosperity and all of our comforts that we want to do what's socially acceptable and kind of to talk about the devil's, it's not socially acceptable. 
You know, like people are like, ooh, you know, and think that's weird. But you know what? When you're in a war zone and you really believe that he is out to deceive and to lie and that he has no authority and you have all authority, then you know what? You start to hate him more because you know the authority you have. And you know, he's just a liar and a deceiver and he doesn't even stand on any ground. Jesus already taken it from him. And I think one of the people that, one of the people that I love that really, you know, is fighting, you know, we had Britt Hancock here. Remember that missionary Britt Hancock the very first week? You know, he's become a big influence on my life since that day. He was here and he's just, we've kind of stayed in touch a little bit. And I'm just I'm crazy about this guy. You know, he's out like really winning the lost in the mountains of Mexico, really seeing real miracles. The other day I was sitting at the most glorious anointed spot under the spout where the glory comes out, Starbucks. I was drinking the anointing, double tall vanilla latte. And I had my laptop open. Beautiful day, blue sky, puffy little white clouds, Pikes Peak in the background, white snow, a cup of coffee. Oh, beautiful. You know, people coming up, hi, how are you? Hi, bless you. Hey. <laughs> hey, I really think a lot of lot, and I really like that. Great, yeah, all right, good, you know. Living my cute little pastor life, sitting at a Starbucks near my massive gargantuan church, you know. Sitting there and life's kind of easy, you know. Sitting there, kind of just doing some emails. Got my Bible open and doing my little Devo, you know. Cute, sweet. Get a text message, you know. Text message, oh yeah. We all get text messages, you know, up here. Get a text message, look at it. Brit Hancock, three words, kill the devil. <laughs> and my immediate reaction is, good grief. <laughs> you know what, though? It shook me. It shook me. It shook me like, man, we're in a real war. And there's a, there's a roaring lion. He's got no authority. He's trying to deceive me every day. He wants my life to be puke. He wants me to end up in hell. He wants me to not lead a generation where God's called me to. He wants me to give up on the prayer meetings. He wants me to be average. He wants me to give up on going for it and just pull back and calm down. And man, my, my temptation, the very thing the enemy wants, is just for all of us to just chill and live a pristine, cute little life. Sometimes we need people to look at us and kind of jolt us, get us back in the place of saying, man, realistically, do you have any idea the war that's going on and how he's out to take you out? And where is this kill the devil? Why isn't it not rising out of us? We need it in us. You need it in you. So I say, if Jesus talks back to the devil, A.W. Tozer is a pretty good theologian. Why not us? That's a new culture rising up. Why not us? You know, it's easy for you to do the devotional prayer in your car. Hey God, I love you today. God, you're good today. I love that. But the next time you're on on MySpace and you've wasted two hours there, I want you to say, devil, get behind me. 
The next time that you are being tempted to lust, I want you to say, devil, get behind me. The next time that you start to rattle off all your successes to your friend who is so sick and tired of you name dropping and telling all the cool people you know, I want you to go out loud to the enemy, devil, get behind me. Why not? They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. I wonder, I wonder how much us speaking out, this is my testimony, righteousness, holiness, the life of God, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. Use your words. (laughs) Sounds funny. That's what I say to my son. (laughs) Dawson, he's two, and he always is like, and I'm like, just ask. Say, use your words. Now I'm saying it to the furnace. (laughs) 20-year-olds, use words. Use them. Pray out loud to God and talk back to the devil out loud. You know why? Because when you have to talk out loud, you have to use your brain. And half of you don't do that in your prayer lives. You know? Because you do the first grade thing, you know? Little Christian school, you learned it. Tap the knee of the person next to you. I don't want to pray out loud. I'm going to pray in my mind. And the sweet little first grade teacher goes, Oh, Johnny, that's fine. Great. All right? You know what we do? We go, I'm going to pray in my mind. You know? Just going to pray "Mm, here. You know what? That's a cute idea. And if you're, you know, like in the middle of the ACT test, that's probably a good thing to do. (laughs) But when you can talk out loud, if you'll use words, if you'll use your words, Dawson and Furnace, if you'll use your words and say it out loud, it causes you to, you have to engage your mind. And not only are you engaging your mind, but then when you say it, when it's spoken, it's it's a declaration of war. It's a declaration statement. Talk to God, talk back to the devil. And you know what? If you'll do it, you do it this week. This week, just try it. Just test me on this. Every time you start to get arrogant and pompous in your mind, you say, get behind me, devil. I break off that arrogant spirit. You'll go, whoa, whoa. You'll feel stronger. And then you say, oh God, Help. <laughs> oh God, I need your strength. Rather than just going, ooh, I should stop doing that. Mm. Maybe I'll resist the devil. And you think that's like an action of like, you know, resisting, like, like a running back, resisting a tackle, you know, just I'm going to pull away. No, no, no. L- l- say it out loud. Next time your girlfriend starts to just make out with you, Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Try it. I know. Don't look so scared, Aaron. You don't have that problem. (laughs) Oh. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb, the victory has been done on Calvary. It's been... Satan's been defeated. It's done. The blood of the lamb. 
the word of their testimony. I want to encourage you, number one, get that knowledge. Do you overcome by the blood of the lamb? I mean, by the cross, you have the victory. And number two, the word of your testimony. Man, make sure your testimony, you have something to say. But I'll say, not only that, but I say, have some words. Have some words towards God. Talk back to the devil and literally make these prayers. Let the prayers of the saints truly rise up out of this place. This people will be marked by that. We're going to be marked. We're going to overcome. We know who we are in Christ. We know we have all authority. We know all authority has been given to us. We know that we have the opportunity to commune with the living God with our words. And we have the opportunity, Jesus did it himself, to look at the devil and say, Get behind me, sucker. Let's overcome. Stand with me. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.